Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Roberts, and as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts, and here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard. A little bit later start than I wanted to have the day, but uh, you know, woke up early and dogs wanted to go out. Next thing you know, I'm watching a little Netflix, and time gets away from me. Now, like, hey, I forgot it's Wednesday. So here we are, going to help you through the rest of the week. Got a good show today, I think. We're going to talk about some things in depth. We're going to talk about some truisms and some truth about Mississippi State baseball. Listen, let's be honest. It's been a disappointing year. Now, that's not necessarily all on the fact that, uh, you know, our staff and players aren't giving their best effort. I believe they are. We had some serious injuries this year, but uh, the reality of it is is that um, we still had our opportunities. And, uh, you know, the season's not over by any stretch of the imagination. We can still get hot here late, but uh, competition – Arguably, the most difficult part of our schedule, save a road trip to Arkansas, is in front of us. Uh, Big news yesterday, long-awaited confirmation that Florida starter Hunter Barco, their ace pitcher, done for the year. There has been a rash of that this year. really has been. And uh, we've been hit particularly hard. But uh, our problems are not unique. Unfortunately, it's part of the game. And that's the thing, too, when it comes to sports, you know, because it's a journey. Right, it's not just about a game or a stretch of games. It's about the totality of a season. Injuries are part of the game. Injuries are part of the season. And unfortunately, we have not had enough depth to overcome those injuries. And that's something we've got to address. It is. I do expect Mississippi State to be very active in the transfer portal this year. Talked to a few people in college baseball circles, and some people, uh, you know, let's just say closely affiliated in the college baseball world. Yeah. It's going to be a buyer's market for Mississippi State in many respects. And that's the thing, too, as I shared on Bo Bound's show yesterday. You know, that's, I'm not going to sit here and say Mississippi State baseball is an equivalent to Alabama baseball because the only thing that's come close to that is probably the, you know, the USC teams, uh, you know, of the 70s. But the reality of it is is that Mississippi State provides a very unique college baseball experience that's really unlike anything else in America. So when Chris Lamonis and Jake Gotro and Scott Foxall pick up the phone and call a prospect, they're going to get a return call. Not to mention, you look at how well guys like Scott Eaterbrill have done. R.J. Yeager has done. Jess Davis to a much lesser extent. I'm a Jess Davis fan. You know, again, I don't see him in practice every day. I don't always understand the game plan offensively. You know what I'm saying? I'm not privy to that information. So I don't know how competitive his at-bats are in relation to what's expected of him. I think he's our best option in center field, based on what I've seen. But Jess Davis is a good player. Struggles at times against lefties. But the reality of it is, is we have had some success in the portal. We didn't really dip into the portal for pitching this year. We had before. Remember Carlisle Kessler? He was okay. Did a good job for us. Ate up some innings in the midweek, and at times was pretty good on the weekends. Other times he wasn't. Dave Donlevy is a guy that transferred in lasted a season, was kind of up and down. Stone Simmons, arguably the best pitcher we've gotten out of the portal, but uh, we're going to have to go find some pitching in the portal. Probably find some guys at the middle, too. Probably need another middle infielder. Yeah, because here's the thing, too. When you come to Mississippi State, as the Mississippi Junior College uh, ranks can attest, if you come here As a young guy and you don't produce, you're going to end up transferring to a junior college pretty quickly with the hope of coming back someday. But that rarely happens. You know, we had some guys last year, you know, Jeffrey Yance, Jackson Kahn, some guys that, uh, you know, pretty highly touted recruits that came in and 
went through fall baseball and said, you know what, I got to go somewhere else to get on the field and get some reps. They did. So, but high school recruiting still has to kind of be the linchpin of success. You go out and hit the portal to help get some guys, perhaps that um, you're know, stopgap guys while your younger guys develop. And I've read too, people say, well, you know, Steve, I don't want to be a portal program. We shouldn't be at that level. Guys, there's a new reality when it comes to all that. You know, our, look at Arkansas. You know, Arkansas has got a couple guys, including Michael Turner, their catcher, who was outstanding, out of the portal. LSU hit the portal hard this offseason. They're not a great team. They're a really good team, though. And when we saw them, they were still kind of struggling to find a sense of themselves. But they've kind of settled in now. So the reality of it is we've got to set our pride aside and get off our high horse a little bit and say, hey, as a fan base, we understand the portal can be a positive thing for us. It's not going away. And so why would we not employ that as a resource to help us you know, facilitate getting some talent? Where would we be this year without R.J. Yeager? The guy's potentially an All-American, certainly an All-SEC guy this year. But where would we be? I had some people tell me back in the fall, some of our current players, hey, he's our best player. He's beginning to show that. Got off to a dreadful start. Remember, he started off leadoff. Ended up going down as low as seventh in the order. Left the order, the lineup for a, a time or two. But now you look at what he's done. It's phenomenal. Yeah, and that's the thing too. If we're going to approach a transfer candidate, put them on the phone with Scotty DeBrew and R.J. Yeager. They can tell you what your staff can do. But uh, let me let me move before we move forward. Let me make sure that there are no misconceptions here. I am 100% a Chris Lamonis guy. I am 100% a Jake Gotro guy. 100% Kyle Cheesebro and Scott Foxall. I 100% support this staff. And I've read some things out there, and I know we get to be prisoners of the moment. And listen, you know, we're struggling this past weekend against Missouri. You know, I wasn't real happy. Neither were you. We expect more, right? We're Mississippi State. It's the one thing we've always been able to kind of poke our chest out about is college baseball. And so when we struggle, I experience the same emotions you do. I just don't go get on social media and share them. But I also think it's important to look at the bigger picture. Chris Lamonis is three for three when it's come to Omaha. Every year since he's been here, he's been to Omaha. Or maybe that's two for two. What is, yeah, two for two. Yeah, he went 19 and went 21. We had a good team in 22, but didn't get a chance to play out the year. But, uh, yeah, the bottom line is, is that, uh, you know, Chris Lamonis has come in here and done a great job. And he's done something nobody else has ever done before. You got the highest paid staff in the country from what I understand. And so we're committed to these guys. We're committed to baseball. We're committed to Coach Lamonis. And so I read some of these things and people are like, you know, well, Steve, should we expect change? No. No, you shouldn't expect change. Why would there be change? I mean, it's laughable. It really is. Well, Steve, what has to happen? Nothing has to happen. What has to happen is we have to get some guys healthy. We got to get some guys out of the portal and get back in contention for Omaha next year. That's what's got to change. And so there are going to be some guys that maybe you really like leave the program. There may be some guys that uh, you're unfamiliar with become your kids' favorites next year. Because one thing's for sure, Mississippi State's not going to be stagnant when it comes to this kind of stuff. There's just too much. There's too much involved in all this. There's too much an investment on all of our parts. Not just the administration, but our fan base. I mean, we are totally committed to college baseball. And so 
Uh, everybody understands the expectations here. I mean, we expect to be in a regional every year. When we haven't been, you know, it's one of those things we get awfully uncomfortable about, and rightfully so, because when we've made this commitment, whether, whether it be with attendance, whether it be financial, uh, you know, we expect to get some return on that investment. And so, and Chris Simonis knew that. I mean, when I first interviewed Chris one-on-one, we talked about that. He goes, you don't come to Mississippi State expecting to just kind of get there every once in a while. You come to Mississippi State, and every year the goal is Omaha. Every year the goal is to go win an NFL championship. Whether we do or we don't, the goals never change. And for those of you that think that uh, – I kind of laugh at this. You know, it's like, well, I just don't understand, you know, the Lamontis thing, and it, you know, he sits on the bucket and that sort of stuff. And it, all that is just so incredibly dumb to me. Chris Lamontis is one of the most competitive people that I've been around. And there's no doubt about that. Chris Monos is our guy. He's not just my guy. He's your guy, too. He's the guy that brought us a NFL championship. He deserves our support. Probably now more so than ever. You know, it's easy to be a fan in times of prosperity. I mean, it really is. You know, it really is. And I think there are some people out there, it's like we want to impress our old Miss friends. So we get on Facebook and we say that. You know, maybe it's like a – it is a, a preliminary strike. You know what I mean? A preemptive strike to avoid them giving you some grief. I, I just I love Mississippi State more than Saving Face. You know what I'm saying? That, that's just maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only guy that feels that way. But I'm true maroon, and I know that most of you are as well. And so we're going to talk a little bit about Chris Simonis today. We're going to talk about some recruiting stuff. We're going to talk about kind of what is to come. We'll look around the SEC, talk some football recruiting before the show is over. But I think it's important to understand. You know, the same staff that won an Apple Championship last year that seemed like every button they pushed was the right one. Same guy's still here. Sometimes things don't work out. You know, it's a, we all knew what we were facing. We all knew it. When Landon Sims went down, we went from thinking, okay, well, there goes our shot at a top eight national seed. Maybe we can still host. Then we find out that Stone Simmons is done. And now we're thinking, okay, let's just make a regional. Then we find out that Brooks Auger's done and recently had successful Tommy John surgery himself. We had three major injuries to three major contributors on the pitching staff this year. But it hadn't just been pitching. Now we're, and we're probably going to set a school record for home runs this year. Let that sink in for a second. You know, but we have become very reliant on the home run. We don't always bunch together hits and get three or four hits in an inning and really rock somebody to death. We did against Chile a little bit on Sunday. Rarely barreled him up. We had a good game plan for him. We knew we'd see him at some point. And I thought Jake had the guys really prepared. They kind of flipped the script on us a little bit earlier in the ball game. But, uh, you know, reality of it is, is we expect to go beat Missouri. We've had a tough time doing it the last couple of years. But, um, you know, anybody ready to check out on Chris Lamonis? I, I think you're just simply being, you know, prisoner of the moment. Chris is our guy, 100%. Chris is a generational coach. Uh, Chris will probably be here until he retires. And he deserves that because I think he – we're not done winning NFL championships. I know this year hadn't been the year that we expected or hoped. It's not over. But certainly – you know, if you think Chris Lamontis is going to get to the offseason and say, well, you know, maybe next year. No, no. <laughs> that's, that's not going to happen. Chris Lamontis will take the steps necessary to get Mississippi State back in contention for a top eight national seat. There, I have no doubt about it. You know, of course, you got to stay healthy. Guys have got to develop. But the reality of it is, if you think Chris Lamontis is just going to sit by and, and just hope to get lucky next year, you're kidding yourself. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I was in there over the weekend, told you guys I had the um, – the country fried steak hamburger, very different deal. It is. Very enjoyable, though. The next time I'm going in there, though, 
I'm getting that Nashville hot chicken sandwich. You know, I've had the sweet heat chicken sandwich before. I like it. They tell me this one's a little bit spicier. And I here's the thing, too. I've always been the guy that is kind of kind of envious of the experience, right? Like, if you've had an experience I haven't had, I feel like somehow I've been shortchanged. You know, I want to have that experience. And so when I go in there and look at that menu and I realize there's a couple things on the menu I hadn't had yet, I think, well, i got to get back in there. i got to have that. I want to be able to speak intelligently on the show about the offerings of Bulldog Burger Company. So I'm going to go have that Nashville hot, hot, Nashville hot chicken sandwich uh, probably before the weekend is out. Might even swing in there tonight or tomorrow. I got to have it, man. I got to have it. I can't let you guys have that experience and not me. You will enjoy your dining experience at Bulldog Burger Company. I love going in there. You guys will as well. Many of you are already big fans of Bulldog Burger Company. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo in the brand new one. Uh, Lake Harbor Drive there in the Ridgeland Flowood area. Be sure and go check them out. Have the chocolate shake to go. Uh, Ian, my youngest son, that's, he, oh, he's already thinking about that chocolate shake about halfway through the meal. Hey, Daddy, can I get – yeah, yes, son, you can. You can. That's part of the experience here. I had the spring rolls. So I told you guys when I checked the rearview mirror on Monday, didn't recognize myself. Absolutely imperative to have the spring rolls as your appetizer to improve the quality of your personal looks. I mean, trust the science. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, one of the things that I do, you know, sometimes I'm looking for things to write about. There are things that, that I find curious. There are other times, too, you know, people will suggest things, and I'm not exactly sure. So I just go do the research and write an article because I feel like, you know what, hey, if you're reading the same commentary, you may have the same questions. And I feel like if it's interesting to me, chances are it's interesting to you. And so I've read these things, you know, from some of our self-loathing Mississippi State fans, and I love them too. I just don't love them as much as I love the True Maroons, but um, it's a different level of love. Um, but, yeah, hey, Chris Lamontis won an AFL championship, but it was with somebody else's players. And I thought, you know what? I don't know that that's accurate. So let me go do some research here. I did some research. I called a couple people to confirm my research. And so here are the results. I wrote an article yesterday called Constructing a Championship Team on jeanspage.com. Free article. You can go read for yourself. But I want to run through this. We had 25 players last year make an appearance in the College World Series. I believe, I believe that um, the, the roster limit is 27 for Omaha. I think that's right. We, we had 25 players make an appearance. So, obviously, for the number one guy, Tanner Allen, National Player of the Year, he committed to Andy Cannizzaro, and he signed with Andy Cannizzaro. And, and he and Andy were a package deal, just so you know. Mississippi State and LSU were his finalists. He picked LSU over Mississippi State. A lot of people don't know that. He did. But his relationship was with, LSU, with LSU was basically his relationship with Andy. So, when Andy got the job... And, and the guy that gave him the job is like, hey, you need to bring Tanner Allen with you. And he did. And we all benefited. We got an AFL championship and a national player of the year out of that deal. Tanner Allen will go down as one of the most beloved players in Mississippi State baseball history. And he was committed to LSU. We flipped him. Worked out good. Chris Lamonis uh, did sign a, a couple of you know, kind of pillars of our team, including Will Bednar. If memory serves me correct, he was committed to Penn State. I think that's correct, Penn State. He decommits, and Scott Foxhall told me when I wrote Dogpile, and if you hadn't read Dogpile, you should. Go to dogpilethebook.com. You can order that or find it in great bookstores all over Mississippi. 
But the very first recruit that Scott Foxhall saw in person once he took the job here was Will Bednar. And we get him. And, and Fox tells me a very heartwarming story about he and his dad. His dad was in uh, really bad shape. And uh, Will Bednar and them were on an official visit. And Scott had to leave to go be at, on his dad's bedside after he'd had, I believe, a pretty massive stroke. But Solomonas commits and signs Will Bednar. Where would we be today without Will Bednar? It worked that well for Will, too. The greatest postseason pitcher in Mississippi State baseball history. How about that? A name that will live forever with adoration at Mississippi State. End up being a first-rounder. Uh, Andy Cannizzaro got the commitment from Kellum Clark. And so, you know, that, that deal was basically done. That, that's Andy kind of cleaning up for John Cohen. You know, a lot of those early commitments – and that's a good job by John, too, to be honest with you. Uh, John did a great job recruiting here at Mississippi State, but I think it also kind of it, it inspires a little confidence in the new coach. It's like Andy gets here, and Andy's a great recruiter, don't get me wrong, and a tremendous recruiter, but he kind of cleaned up the green a little bit for John when he first got here, and then people were like, oh, wow, look at this. Look how we're recruiting. Well, a lot of these guys we were going to get if John remained our coach, and Kellum is one of them. Kellum, a bulldog through and through. And I still think his best baseball is to come. He'll have a decision to make with the draft coming up. But uh, I think Kellum is a guy maybe benefit from another year. But uh, I'm a huge Kellum Clark fan. I think he projects well on the next level. First year really playing outfield, I think his best baseball is ahead of him. But he commits to Andy and then signs with Chris. And you can say, but Steve, he committed to Andy. Yeah, well, when Lamontis gets here, he's under no obligation to honor any commitments. But he dies. And uh, I've talked to David Clark extensively kind of about that process. I mean, it's like Cohen starts recruiting him. He commits to Andy, maintains a commitment through Gary and Andy, and then with Lamonis. You know, and can you imagine how, how stressful that would be? You know, your kid commits early on, and the next thing you know, you know, the guy that initially recruited you is the AD, but there are three head coaches that follow him. So his commitment had to survive – three different coaches it also says that they uh their evaluations are probably similar because there's no way Chris Lamona signs Kellum Clark if he didn't believe he'd come in here and help a team and again where would we be today without Kellum Clark guy had some we, we lose to Virginia without Kellum Clark and we, we probably lose to Texas in game two we probably didn't even make it to the College World Series final without Kellum Clark uh Brad Cumbus Committed and signed by Dan Mullen. How about that? I was actually there when that happened. Uh, Brad comes out, comes to camp. We're not going to sign a tight end. Brad takes over the camp, has the entire staff watching him. I go up and interview him, and he's like, this is where I'm going to go. If Mississippi State offers me, this is where I'm going to go. It's where I've always wanted to go, and he did. And then Mike Leach and Chris Lamontis work it out to enable him to play both sports. And Brad Combus having the best year of his college career. Uh, Scotty DeBrule last year. Transfer, obviously, came in from Jacksonville. That's a Chris Simonis commitment in signing. I mentioned earlier, Scotty DeBrule, uh, an outstanding defensive player for us. Took him a while to adjust to SEC pitching, but he did. Lane Forsyth committed to Andy Cantazaro. Chris Simonis signed him. I'm a Lane Forsyth fan, playing the best baseball of his Mississippi State career right now. Jackson Fristo. Uh, Chris Lamontis flips him from Kentucky. That's a Paducah, Paducah, Kentucky native. So he goes into the state of Kentucky and takes a kid away from Kentucky. Now, 
You can say Jackson Fristo may not have lived up to his potential just yet. I'm still a Jackson Fristo fan. I think he will figure it out. Uh, but, again, that's a good job by Chris going in there kind of shaking things up in the SEC. Luke Hancock actually committed to John Cohen. He's like a ninth grader. He signs with Andy. Where would we be without Luke Hancock? A team first guy in every aspect. Remember last year we had a tough time kind of figuring out the Sunday deal. You know, first it's going to be Sarantola, and then it was Fristo for a while. Fristo kind of hit the wall. And then it was Houston Harding that kind of helped us down the stretch. That's a Chris Lamonis commitment and signee. Do we win in Omaha without Houston Harding? I don't know that we, you know, I don't know if we win the Super without Houston Harding. Houston Harding, probably got it should have come back, would have definitely helped some things for us this year. But the reality of it is, is we got our scholarship money and then some from Houston Harding. Josh Hatcher was a John Cohen commitment, signed with Andy Canizaro. I don't know if you saw the news last night. Now that he's a Kennesaw State, Hatcher uh, got his 200th career college baseball hit last night. And uh, Hatchie, I love the guy to death. Uh, Hatchie hung in here for as long as he could and then uh, needed to get on the field. Didn't get a chance to play much last year. Lost the job to Luke Hancock. Just wasn't where he needed to be as a hitter, but he goes to Kennesaw State and kind of finds it again. And that's great for Josh, really is. I go back to that 2018 Super Regional, you know, when we played uh, at Vanderbilt. You know, and in the big inning there, we mounted the big comeback there. It was Josh Hatcher who pinch hit in the nine hole that worked and worked and worked and got, and got us a walk. And next thing you know, we got three left-handers in a row because we had Jake Mangum and Rowdy Jordan hitting one, two in the order. And uh, they had a tough time throwing lefties, and that kind of sparked the rally. That was my big Josh Hatcher moment. Of course, he hit a big tank against Stanford, too. Uh, Casey Hunt and Andy Canazaro commitment of Chris Lamonis signee. Uh, Casey was the guy that Andy was recruiting down at LSU and uh, carried that over to here, and we've gotten him. And listen, Casey's been money for us this year. You begin to think to wonder, too. People forget at times. We talk about all the injuries. We, we, we were without KC for a month. Look back at some of those ball games and think about that now. If we'd had a healthy KC hunt, we'd probably not even have this discussion. Uh, Cameron James was an Andy Canizaro signee, but that was, again, kind of one of those deals where he's cleaning up the green for Cohen, you know, because Cohen had signed Keegan James uh, and Greg James, you know, former MSU football player. There was really no doubt about where Cam was going to go. And Lamona signs him. And, you know, I remember last year, you know, having some conversations. You know, if Cam James doesn't make the successful move from short to third, we don't win the NFL championship. Because if you recall, at the time, you know, we had Tanner Leggett playing third, Forsyth playing short, and then Cam was DHing, which kind of clogged up a DH spot. Now, all of a sudden, you're able to get Cam on the field, which opens it up for Kellum Clark to be your DH. We don't win the NAFL championship last year without Cam James holding down third. And you remember how good he was down the stretch. He was MVP of the regional and goes out, plays exceptional defense at Omaha. Didn't have a great offensive college World Series. He did have the big tank against Leiter. It really kind of got us going in game two. Um, but, you know, I guess it was game one, excuse me. But my point being, I'm, I'm a Cam James fan. I still think that he's going to be uh, a guy that's got a decision to make. And we'll, we'll probably lose him this year. But um, – you know, again, Cam has uh, been part of a great team that's done some amazing things. Preston Johnson, a Chris Lamonis commitment and signee, and where would we be this year without Preston? Listen, I get it. He has shown a propensity to give up the long ball. He was our best long reliever last year. Maybe that's where he's more comfortable. I know he's been a starter much of his career, but he's been kind of up and down at times this year. But Preston, again, team first guy. He'll do whatever you ask him to do. It was a good get for us. And listen, our, our JUCO recruiting has been very hit or miss. That was a hit. 
Rowdy Jordan was a John Cohen commitment signed by Andy Cannizzaro. Will go down as one of the most beloved players in Mississippi State baseball history. There'll be a bunch of kids here in the next, uh, you know, couple of years that'll pop up named Rowdy. Tanner Leggett was a Chris Simonis commitment and signee. Tanner Leggett, the biggest hit in the history of Mississippi State baseball. Would you not agree? The walk-off hit against Texas to put us into the finals. You know, and Legg's a guy, too. Listen, he's a utility guy that has played basically four to five, five positions for us. I think he's played left, right, third, short, and second. He's a glue guy. And if you ever are around him, listen, he wants to play every day like everybody else does. But he's always ready when his number's called. And and I'll be honest with you. When I saw him play out at Meridian in the summer league, I was like, I just don't know where he fits. But he kind of fits for wherever we have a need. Is he a great player? You know, is he a guy that's a major contributor? No, he's not. But I'll tell you this, he is a great contributor in that dugout. And whenever we need him, he's there for us. He is. I'm a Tanner Leggett fan. Christian McLeod, an Andy Canizaro commitment and an Andy signee, uh, you know, kind of lost some things down the stretch last year. You, people forget how dominant McLeod was in 2020. I mean, he was phenomenal. I mean, you couldn't score on Christian McLeod. That's what we were thinking. Yep, we got our guy. We got our Dakota Hudson. And then, you know, things were a little bit different last year. And he, he had some injuries last year. He was sick in Omaha. But, uh, you know, hey, I'll always be grateful to Christian McLeod for what he's done for us. Chase Patrick had Chris Lamona signee in commitment. And Chase is a guy, too. You know, Chase is that uh, – the arm slide guy, right? The guy that come out of the bullpen uh, to give you a different look. We could really have used him this year. Had it been, been great to have had Chase back. And, uh, you know, Chase is a guy, too, that kind of ate up innings for you. Bit of a matchup guy. There were times he left some balls up. Uh, he had a pretty good outing against Notre Dame last year, too. Probably left him in a couple of hitters too long. But, uh, you know, Chase, a valuable member of that bullpen last year. Stone Simmons, of course, a Labonis commitment and signing. We spoke about him. Landon Sims, a Canizaro commitment, and a Lamona signee. People forget, too, about Landon Sims. Uh, Landon's first appearance, I, I don't think he retired a hitter. I think he walked, like he walked the bases loaded, had a wild pitch. It was crazy. And he ends up being one of the best pitchers in all college baseball. Braylon Skinner, a Lamona's commitment and signee. Bray scores the uh, you know, biggest stolen base in Mississippi State baseball history. And we'd like for him to be a little more consistent, obviously. You know, we didn't sign him thinking he'd be a reserve guy and a pinch runner. We wanted him to come in and really compete. And if you recall last year, there was a lot of discussion about him being a starting left fielder, and he has the hand injury, kind of limits him for a while, and he hits that home run against LSU, and everybody's like, yeah, now I see. Now I see what Chris Simonos was looking for. Hadn't had a good year this year, uh, but Bray, again, you know, one of the most endearing images of Omaha is him rounding third base and sliding in at home. I mean, it's just – it's crazy. I mean, how many times have you gone back and watched the video? Braylon Skinner will forever be remembered at Mississippi State. Brandon Smith, a John Cohen commitment, was a Bulldog through and through. As soon as he was given the opportunity, he jumped on it. Um, you know, committed really, really early, obviously. Uh, Canizaro signs him. And, and, you know, people forget he had the Tommy John procedure a couple of years ago. Just wasn't the guy maybe that, uh, you know, we had hoped for right after the injury, but, you know, we're getting the best version of Brandon Smith right now, right now. I, I submit to you right now, he may be your most competitive pitcher. He or Cade Smith. You know, Brandon's a guy that is going to go out there and, you know, he's not going to walk people. He's not going to go up there and nibble. He's going to go challenge hitters, and sometimes that costs him. But I'm a Brandon Smith guy. I have been 
from the very beginning. I was there against uh, you know Louisiana Lafayette when he walked off the mound, and you're like, that's that's not good. But we're getting the best version of Brandon Smith right now. Cade Smith, I think, is the future of this rotation. He was an Andy Cannizzaro commitment, and of course, uh, Fox holding those guys hung in there with him. And why would you not? The guy's a phenomenal pitcher. Parker Stanett, a Lamonis commitment and a Lamonis uh, signee. Uh, yeah, Parker, uh, still not expecting him back. Uh, again, I'm told it's not Tommy John. There, there, there's something else going on, and we're not going to, you know, speculate on that. But, uh, you know, Parker gave us some big innings last year down the stretch. And this year, of course, he had a couple of really big outings as a starter. Logan Tanner was actually a John Cohen commitment, another guy, too, that, uh, you know, grew up wanting to be a Bulldog. Committed, like, in the eighth or ninth grade. Signed by Chris Simonis. Going to be uh, a very early draft pick in June. And that's the thing I start thinking about for next year. You know, does Luke come back? Is Luke the starter at catcher? Luke's got, I think, another year to, to work with because of the COVID year. Um, you know, so we'll see. You know, but, uh, you know, where are we going to be next year without Logan Tanner? I mean, how many strikes does that guy steal? I mean, he is a, he's a thief behind the plate, man. That guy is such a good framer of the baseball. And there's Cam Teller, our Chris Lamontis uh, commitment and signee. And, and listen, Cam's a good matchup guy, but we, we kind of learned, you know, at times that um, he can be very good and at times he can't be. But, um, you know, I, I, I say all that to say this. Let me give you some conclusions here. I think it's important to understand this, is that um, of those guys, Chris, of those 25 guys that appeared in Omaha, 11 of them committed to Chris Lamontis and 18 of them signed with Chris Lamontis. So 18 of the 25. So this talk about, hey, well, he won with somebody else's players. It was a combination. And that's what happens everywhere. Great coaches make use of the talent available, right? I mean, it's like we want to be critical of Mike Leach and say, yeah, well, you know, he should kind of you know, work around the talent that he has and not be so stubborn and implement his system. I don't know any other way to do it. you got to be true to yourself and what got you here. But then Lamontis comes in and kind of melds this group together and then goes out and recruits the missing pieces that gets us to Omaha and wins the College World Series. So we can't have it both ways. And that's one thing that I've learned is those that profess to love Mississippi State that are still negative about Mississippi State, there's always the changing narrative. But I wanted to put the facts out there rather than allow this uh, misconception to continue to persist among our social media community. It's like, well, there's enough to be upset about, right? We're having a disappointing year. But let's not burn down Duty Noble Field in our angst and our dismay. And let's not make these negative comments that are not rooted in fact just to support our feelings that, we, hey, we're not happy with how things are going. You better believe Mississippi State baseball is going to be back next year. And, again, I'm not counting state out just yet. I mean, do I think we can make the tournament? I, you know. It's possible, and how probable it is, but I do expect us to be in Hoover, and I don't think we're going to quit by any stretch of the imagination. I said this a while back on the show, and I got a couple messages about it. I guess some people didn't like it. But let me just say this. If you're going to quit, quit. But quit completely. If you're going to quit on the team, then quit. You, you can't quit and then take, take your ball and go home and then sit out, point out the wind and, and grab it to all the other kids that want to play. That's my point. So if you're going to quit, quit. Don't quit commenting, quit watching the games. Just go ahead and resign yourself. Get some yard work done. Uh, ask the wife, hey, make me a honeydew list, whatever, and, uh, and just be done with it. You know, that, that's just my attitude about it. It's like, you know, don't, let's, not, let's not make fun of those that want to remain true maroon. That's, that's the thing that irritates me. It's like these other people out here said, you know what, I'm going to hold out hope. I'm going to support the team, and then we're going to make fun of those people. 
makes no sense to me. You're the one that's quitting. So why are those people at fault? You're giving up. They're not. Oh, they're being delusional. Let them be delusional. What's wrong with coming out there and saying, you know what, I'm going to support the team through thick and thin? Well, Steve, I'm not going to accept mediocrity. I bet you do. I bet you do in every facet of your life and you just kind of rest your insecurities on Mississippi State baseball and that becomes your whipping post. I suspect that's the case. And I'm sure I'll get a couple messages. Oh, Steve doing this. That's fine. Whatever. I don't care. I'm a Mississippi State guy through and through. I support Chris Monos. I support this baseball team. Have I been disappointed at times this year? You better believe it. I was disappointed at times last year too. And you know what? There will be times in the future I'm going to be disappointed. That's the nature of competition. But I know this. I know we have a great coach. I know we have a great coaching staff. we got some players out there that are giving their absolute best. And you know what? If we had some misses on the recruiting trail, yep, you better believe it. So is everybody else. And this year it's kind of caught up with us a little bit. And our injuries have kind of magnified that some because, hey, when you don't, when you have some guys that are expected to be the, the bell cows and they get injured, then all of a sudden some of the bell pups have got to step up and pitch and kind of commit themselves to perhaps a standard they've never lived up to before, and there's some growing pains. But I'm not just going to say, well, you know, I'm ready to just give up on all this stuff. You know, I, I got it in my office, I've shared this with you guys before, to my left, I've got a signed 3M sticky note that my dad had framed for me when I was a teenager. It says, Steve, best wishes and good luck always, Ron Polk. To my right, just past my Stark Villain trademark, I've got a case. It's got a baseball card or a picture of every Mississippi State baseball player that ever made the big league that, that I can find a card for. There are a lot of guys that made it for you know, a game or two or a season or two. It wasn't a game, uh, it wasn't a picture or a uh, card made for them. But I've got all this stuff surrounded me. And that's the thing that I think about, too, is for me to be just so incredibly petty at times and to be so self-entitled at times, it's disrespectful to those guys. That's the way I look at it. I mean, you don't think Ron Polk, and even though he, he wears it so well, and we all love Polky, we do. We, where would we be today without Ron Polk, right? He talks about almost not taking the job in Dogpile. And, again, I think you should read it, dogpilethebook.com. You don't think it's stuck in Ron Polk's crawl that he never won it all here at Mississippi State? You don't think it did? You know that it did. And, and he, he is always kind of put on a brave face and say, well, you know, you know it's, it, the guy gave his life and all his talents to Mississippi State baseball. He did. And he never quite got there. And it's like, I, I wrote in the book too, it's like, it wouldn't have been right for us to win it without Polk being involved in some capacity. You know, John brings him home, makes him the special assistant to the, uh, the athletic director. You know, he's, you know, here's a resource for our coaches and stuff. But he's back in Maroon and White and we go win the thing. It was, it was almost poetry. It's just meant to be. But I think about it. Think about from whence we've come. It's like we we won an Apple championship last year. I'm not going to be the spoiled brat that's out here saying, you know what? Hey, you guys are failing me. I got a taste of that, and I want to have it again. And I do. Did I expect us to repeat this year? No, I didn't. Did I think we could? Yeah, depends on matchups. If we could just get to Omaha, you never know how the field's going to play, right? You just never know. You never know who's going to make it, who's not. You never know who kind of exhausts themselves or has some injuries. I mean, you never know. It's a long season. But I'm not going to get out here and uh, make 
these criticisms of our coaches that uh, aren't, are unwarranted. I told you guys on Monday show I disagreed with leaving Cade Smith long if we did. I, I call it as I see it. You may agree, you may not. I hope you do if you're listening to the show. But I'm not going to quit on Mississippi State baseball. Now, my, my, my expectations for the season have clearly changed, clearly. But I'm not going to go put all my MORS stuff up. I'm, not, I'm never going to be embarrassed of Mississippi State baseball. Like, I read these things, people, oh, this is embarrassing. I think, my gosh, you know, what a sheltered life you have led if this is embarrassing. It's not always fun, but it's the greatest thing that I know. You know, when I think about you know, things outside of my own family and my own efforts, I, I enjoy Mississippi State baseball as much or more than anything in the world. And we only get a chance to play a few months out of the year. And so, do I think the boys can rally back and maybe win some games that people aren't expecting us to? Yeah, yeah, I, I think we can. Am I expecting it? I can't say that. But I'm certainly not going to forget who I am just because our team has had some adversity this year. All right, let's jump into the top ten list brought to you by Blair Chandler. That's close with Blair. Dot com. C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. That's close as in closing your loan. Many of you have thought, you know what, maybe now is the time to refinance. And maybe it is. And nobody can navigate you through that complicated process better than Blair Chandler. 21 years of experience in the industry, you are dealing with a mortgage professional. A lot of loan officers out there, but Blair Chandler, a mortgage professional. This is a guy that's been through the underwriting wars. And if you've ever been on the other end of that, you understand. I mean, sometimes underwriters can ask for things that make no sense at all. And so it's good to have somebody that can be your advocate to take your loan and your application and go to, go to war for you. A lot of people out there would love to be able to take your loan and uh, collect some commission off of it. But here's the deal. If you don't draw any benefit from it, it's not in about your best interest. So maybe the uh, dream of home ownership has eluded you. Maybe you're just an atypical borrower. Maybe you're just kind of a non-conforming type person. Blair has seen it all and done it all. Visit him today at closeofblair.com. And here's the thing, too. Let me give you his personal cell number. That number is 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. And if you mention to Blair, whether it be by text or call or carrier pigeon or whatever, telegram, Singing telegram probably preferable because, uh, you know, Blair is a guy that didn't know a lot about great music. So maybe, you know, maybe like have like a heavy metal singogram or whatever. Singing telegram would be great. Uh, let him know you heard about him on the boneyard and he'll pay for your appraisal. That is an incredible deal. It's about a $500 value. A lot of fees associated with the mortgage. And Blair's taking care of some of that right out of the gate. So, again, that's closedblair.com as we have a thunderstorm rolling in, right? Okay, so I looked through some of your requests, and I can't remember who requested this, but I even texted Roy. I said, are you sure we haven't done this one? And then I started thinking about it, and he's like, no, we haven't. And so today we're doing Nine Inch Nails, and uh, Trent Reznor, kind of the, the, the godfather of industrial music. You know, when, when Pretty Hate Machine came out in 89, people weren't sure what to call it. I think it was Rolling Stone that dubbed that the um, Industrial Age and Rock and Alternative Music, and... Uh, I just felt that Trent Reznor was kind of like a modern-day composer. Uh, he's a guy that obviously has dealt with some depression issues and everything that goes along with that, and um, that comes through in his music, and I think a lot of people kind of understood that. I think, really, it wasn't just the loud and at times obnoxious sound that drew people in. It's just that he was kind of writing about real stuff. And as I've mentioned to you guys on the show before many times, 
you know, the 80s rock scene had kind of gotten a little bit bloated and very predictable, very cookie cutter. And everybody's singing about partying and that kind of stuff and, you know, strippers and all that kind of stuff. And listen, I'm, you know, hey, I got no qualms with any of that. But my point being is that when Trent Reznor came along, I think in many ways he was kind of a precursor to grunge. Uh, and what I, I mean by that is the lyrical content. You know, we went from singing to nothing uh, but a good time to, um, you know, every day is exactly the same. And so I think there were a segment of people that maybe didn't identify with the debauchery uh, of the 1980s metal scene. But all of a sudden, you know, Trent Reznor comes along and sings about his pain. And the next thing you know, things are getting to be um, a little more serious in music, shall we say. I mean, you didn't have C.C. DeVille out there pretending to play a guitar, you know, with uh, two cans of VO5 in his hair. But um, be that as it may, I think The Pretty Hate Machine, which is the debut album from Nine Inch Nails, and if memory serves me correct, Trent Reznor played every instrument uh, on the album. And most of that, of course, would, was uh, synthesizers. But uh, if you've looked, if, you know, Trent Reznor now in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is incredible. But that album, I think, is one of the most important of my lifetime. There are a lot of elements of industrial music that still exist today. I mean, you go, there are just so many rock bands that you can listen to Sirius XM Octane, and you can hear a lot of influence from Trent Reznor. So here are my top 10 Trent Reznor Nine Inch Nail songs. And uh, I didn't include Terrible Lie, which is one of my favorites. So we'll throw kind of an honorable mention of that. Sanctified is another one uh, off the Pretty Hate Machine that didn't make our list. But uh, one that did is your number 10 song. It's Down In It because I was up above it. Now I'm down in it. I, one of the things I liked about this one is there's just all these, this weird sound behind them. And it's kind of like a spoken word thing. He's not even really singing. And you get to the chorus, you know, and he kind of kind of lets it loose. But uh, down in it, a great tune. Uh, number nine, The Perfect Drug. And this is another one that is a little bit, shall we say, different. It's very eccentric. It's almost like the lyrics don't always kind of match up with the music behind it. it is, uh, it's very, very different. It's The Perfect Drug. It's a much, much different deal. And again, it's about, uh, in many ways, kind of a, a, an unhealthy relationship. You know, it's just kind of what it is. Kind of like isolating in with somebody else. Uh, number eight, we're in this together. Really dig this song. Always have. From the very first time I heard it, I was like, this is a little bit different for Nine Inch Nails. But I thought that it was one of those things, too, that, um, you know, again, lyrical content's very, very good. And I think it, again, shows kind of the maturity of the Nine Inch Nails process. I mean, as great as Pretty Hate Machine was, you go back and listen to it now. And then all of a sudden, you start listening to Broken and... Uh, in you know the downward spiral the things that came after that and um, you begin to kind of see the evolution of Nine Inch Nails because every album got more layered and every album got a little more dark and every album got a lot harder and so you kind of started Pretty Hate Machine which again is an iconic album but it is just simply a starting point for the industrial movement in music number seven The Hand That Feeds you know, lyrical content kind of goes for itself. But again, this is one that kind of made the rounds. And there were a lot of people, like radio people were very, very, very reluctant to play Nine Inch Nails on the radio. And I think that's one of the things that really appealed to me. And what's funny too, like that Pretty Hate Machine, I had it first on cassette and it was black. And for some reason, that just kind of resonated with me. You know, because back in those days, about the only thing that was a uh, black cassette tape were like some singles out there. But by and large, like, 
the packaging for cassettes got to be such a big deal. You know, we used to have just the regular old brown cassettes. The next thing you know, they were clear. And then all of a sudden, people were putting paint and stuff. And so it's like everybody's getting more elaborate with their packaging of a cassette. And then Trent Reznor comes out here. It's just black. It's just a black cassette. And uh, I think there was a statement behind that. But um, I don't know why that, that kind of stirred me up there a little bit. But um, but again, the hen it feeds, again, part of the evolution of the band. But uh, number six, every day is exactly the same. I mentioned that earlier. This is one of those depressing songs. Uh, but it's one, too, that I think the authenticity in Trent Reznor comes out. He's kind of sharing his pain with us. And I think that's an important part of this, too. I think one of the reasons that Nine Inch Nails has built such a huge following and one of the reasons they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is because they have established this great following of fans that feel connected to Trent because he has kind of opened his soul and shared his pain uh, with all of us. And I think that there is some authenticity there that resonates with other people. Number five, March of the Pigs. A great percussion on this one. Kind of starts that offbeat drum beat. Uh, really a great track, too. And uh, this is when they really begin to have some mainstream success. Because, like, when Pretty Hate Machine came out, it was kind of like not a lot of people had heard it. And then they started getting some play on MTV. And then by the time the Downward Spiral got here, people were like, hey, these, these guys are legit. And so March of the Pigs, I think, kind of ushered that in. Uh, number four, I recently had a discussion with somebody, and I had to, had to school them a little bit about this. The song Hurt that Johnny Cash sang is a Nine Inch Nails song. Johnny Cash covered Nine Inch Nails when he had that covers album. A lot of people think that, hey, well, this is about Nine Inch Nails covering Johnny Cash. It's the other way around, which I think is absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal that Johnny Cash covered a Nine Inch Nails song. But the song Hurt, and uh, if you've seen... The Hangover series, you, you remember Leslie Chow also sang Hurt there too. But uh, again, a very, very, very emotional song. And I think it's a song too that people can identify with. I think at some point we've all felt that. No, no matter how happy-go-lucky you are, at some point you've had a down day. And I think Hurt is a part of that. Number three. And- Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to NerdWallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let nerd wallets, trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, 
and we go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tecovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tecovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom-fitted for a new pair of Tecovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovas.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovas delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. There are times in my life you might have could even talk me into this being my favorite Nine Inch Nail song. It's the debut single off of album number two. It's a song called Wish. And this is one of those right here. You want to hear some real, raw, industrial rock? This is it. This is it. To me, I think this is one of those songs that, like, if you were ever to, like, take a slice, somebody says, hey, Steve, what was it like listening to industrial music? And I loved industrial music. I did, you know, when I was... When I was with Cervello and then, you know, that, that didn't work out. And the next thing you know, I went to rehab. But when I got out, this is when industrial music was really taken off. And it was Machines of Love and Grace and bands like that. Um, and so I kind of got on board with that too. Um, you know, there's just so many bands, I, I think back in hindsight too. I mean, Psychosonic was one that I really loved a lot too. But it's like there's all these bands. And, but if you ever said, Steve, give me a great example of what it means to have to be industrial. This is the song that I would give you. The song is Wish. And um, it's a wild ride, man. I'm just going to tell you from the very beginning, as soon as you turn it on, it to me, as soon as it's over with, I want to start it over. It's like a song that I could listen to on repeat. It really gets your heart going. Number two, arguably, arguably the most famous Nine Inch Nails song. Got a lot of notoriety. Got a lot of controversy associated with the song. Uh, it's a song closer. And uh, you know the, the, the bridge. I'm not going to sing it for you because it's a family show. But the song Closer is, um, you know, it's basically about the object of his affection, you know, or, or in some respects, his lust. I mean, it's like he's kind of obsessing over this uh, other person. And he just kind of is very honest and forthright. This is what I want to do. You give me closer to God. That's kind of the, the second part of the hook there. But number one, and it's the one that started it all. This is a legendary song. And uh, to me, it's, this, it's a song of protest. It's not just some song about, you know, hey, let's just go plug in and just yell our brains out. This is a song that's about protest, kind of about what was going on in the world. Um, it's head like a hole. Black is your soul. I'd rather die than give you control. And you think about that. You think about where we are in our in this country today. I mean, it's like the song still just kind of resonates. Because at some point, those feelings of authenticity never leave us. Trends change. 
fashion changes, uh, things in music change, we change, but a lot of those feelings of rebellion and revolution, they're enduring and last forever. And they just kind of flow from cause to cause and uh, group to group. But uh, this is one of those songs to me that just makes you want to put your fist in the air. And it's kind of like, you know what? This is enough. I'm not putting up with this anymore. So there you go. Nine Inch Nails Top 10. It was a lot of fun putting this one together. Because I believe, and I told Roy, I think I was a, probably among their first 10 fans in Mississippi. And you joke about that. But uh, it just so happened I had a friend that played music with us, kind of in the same circles with us, showed up, uh, I want to say from Houston or Dallas. And he's like, dude, you got to listen to this. And next thing you know, I mean, it wasn't available in record stores in Mississippi yet. It wasn't on the radio. It was just this underground movement. It was unlike anything I'd ever heard. And I fell in love with it. The Pretty Hate Machine. It's just Pretty Hate Machine. I keep saying the, and people are going to think, oh, he's not really a fan. No, I'm very much a fan, always have been, from the very first time I heard it. And so it's good to kind of go back. I can't say I listen to Nine Inch Nails as much as I used to. And a lot of it, too, maybe it's because I've healed a little bit. But some of this stuff, when I go back to it, it's like it just kind of takes me back. It takes me back to that time and place in my life. And um, I think it's phenomenal stuff. And, again, it's not for the faint of heart. It's not that it's like uh, you know Iron Maiden or Metallica uh, or Slayer or anything like that. It's they talk about some very serious stuff. I mean, you're going to be able to understand what he's saying. But there is just this symphony of sound behind him, it's this wall of sound that is just so layered by the genius of Trent Reznor. It's really unlike anything else that's out there. He really kind of made his own lane in music. That's your top 10 list for today. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out, let me know, or just hit Roy up at Dogmatic67 on Twitter. That's a, that's at D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. Roy Samante, my buddy, that lives up there near Memphis, Mississippi State alum. And uh, appreciate all that Roy and our buddy Izzy Mandelbaum, even though Izzy hadn't put stuff up as much lately, but uh, he'll get caught up. But uh, the list is out there. You can see it for yourself over on the uh, Spotify list. Really appreciate Roy and his contributions to the show. If you have ideas for the top ten list, reach out let us know. We'll put you on the list. And, th- again, this has been requested several times. Uh, just today I said, you know what, let me go do a viewer's choice today or listener's choice list today. So for those of you that have requested Nine Inch Nails over the last couple of years, this is your list. I, I got a question a couple of days ago about Prime Shrimp. We did have a Prime Shrimp player of the game. We didn't play last night, but uh, Prime Shrimp is outstanding. I had somebody hit me up and say, Steve, you've talked about the French Quarter Alfredo. Do I have to make my own Alfredo sauce? Because that might be a little more trouble than I want to break off here. And the answer to the question is no. It comes in the pouch. You just open it up, drop it into a pot of boiling water, boom, you're ready to go. So cook some noodles, fettuccine ribbon noodles there, and uh, pour that French Quarter Alfredo shrimp right over the top. Very, very easy to do, and it is absolutely delicious. I can't decide what my favorite flavor is. It's like whatever I've had last is kind of what I like the most. So go to Prime Shrimp today. You'll be glad you did. They're a New Orleans-based company. Been peeling shrimp uh, for really 40 years, since the 1940s, excuse me, over almost 80 years now. They've been in the shrimping business. They know a thing or two about it. And uh, visit them at primeshrimp.com. Use promo code BONEYARD to save some money on your order. You'll be glad you did. Because I'm going to be honest with you, after living in South Louisiana as long as I did, 
I found it difficult to find quality shrimp in North Mississippi. You can have it delivered directly to your door. It's very well packaged. It can survive a day out in the Mississippi heat. It is so well packaged and cooled. Again, that's primeshrimp.com, a New Orleans-based shrimp company. Uh, be sure and give those guys an opportunity to serve you. All right, let's take a look around the SEC. This segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. I love Campus Bookmart. You will, too. Go by and check them out today and go see their smiling faces. They will treat you like family because in their minds, you are family. Simple as that. Campus Bookmart, a great place to shop. And if you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll save you a little money. Promo code is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. You're going to need that because you're going to, once you start loading your cart, you're going to be like, hey, I'm going to save a little money here if I get one more item. And you're going to want that other item. Rather than having to pay for shipping, put that money to work for some merchandise. You'll be glad you did. It's getting warm. It's going to be in the 90s next week. Ugh. I don't know if I'm ready for this. It's going to be in the 90s next week, so you're going to want to dress cool as you get ready to head out to Duty Noble Field here uh, to see the Bulldogs play the Florida Gators and then, of course, Tennessee here in a couple weeks. But uh, get some new M over S merchandise direct from campusbookmart.net. And, again, promo code BSR. All right, pretty busy night in the SEC last night. Of course, Mississippi State not playing this week. We're in finals week. And uh, good luck to all of you Mississippi State students that are still working through your finals. I've got one young lady that is done. I've got another one that is finishing up this week, and i got a lot of papers due. But uh, listen, hey, you guys get to work on all that stuff and get it done. Don't procrastinate. I think it's important that you uh, always put your education in the proper perspective. Don't ever just feel like, hey, I'll figure it out. No, put in the effort, put in the work. All right, speaking of putting in work, uh, Louisville Cardinals did not make the tournament last year. We got a chance to see Dan McDonald wear a maroon shirt at Omaha as he sat and cheered for Mississippi State. His wife wore Mississippi State gear. He did not. He just wore a maroon shirt. Uh, Louisville goes into Nashville and beats Vanderbilt one nothing, one nothing. You know Vanderbilt's a team too that um, you know you start looking at this, you begin to realize how vulnerable those guys are, and that's a big big non conference win uh, for Louisville. Again, I'd love to play Vanderbilt in the tournament. I think we can take those guys down. Uh, Tennessee, huge win last night, 14-1 over Alabama A&M. You expected that to happen. And, of course, the, you know, the home run train just keeps on rolling for the volunteers. Georgia survives a 10-7 decision with Kennesaw State. A very, very entertaining ball game in many respects for those that were in attendance, I'm sure. Uh, Georgia gets out to a 2-0 first inning lead, and then Kennesaw State takes the lead, goes up 3-2, and then adds four more in the third. It is a 7-2 ball game. Georgia scratches back to get one in the third to make it a 7-3 game. And then next thing you know, the second half of this ball game, Georgia outscores them. It's very rare that you win a ball game not scoring the last six innings, and that's what happened. Georgia shut the Kennesaw State offense down. The final six innings of the game outscore them 7-0 to cruise to a 10-7 win. And Josh Hatcher, our friend, won for five last night. Josh hitting 357 for Kennesaw State. Florida trounces South Florida. We'll see the Gators this weekend. They take care of South Florida 18-3. to And, of course, as I mentioned earlier in the show, Hunter Barco done for the year. They, they have pitched the last two weekends without him. 
So it's not like they had, this is news that they were not expecting. You hope to get him back, but much like our bad news. I mean, like you kind of have a bad feeling. You kind of know where this thing is heading, but Florida offensively really good against South Florida. Not that the Bulls have been very good this year, but uh, Florida an 18-3 win. Missouri, 9-3 winners over Southeast Missouri State. You know, SEMO has been pretty decent this year. They went into Oxford here a couple weeks ago and won a midweek game against those guys. Uh, Texas A&M, 10-5 winners over UT Arlington. A&M playing pretty good baseball. I mean, that's a series now you look at and you're like, I don't know. LSU, 10-6 winners over Nickel State. You, you expect that to happen. I mean, you, you really do. Uh, one of the things you don't expect to happen, though, is for Arkansas to lose a midweek game, and they did to Missouri State, a 6-4 ball game there. Uh, Missouri State gets after those guys a little bit. And, uh, again, they jump out to a 2-0 lead in the third. Arkansas answers back with one. In the fifth, Missouri State gets that run back, makes it 3-1. It stayed that way until they got to the ninth inning. And you think, okay, at some point, Arkansas will figure this out against the Missouri State bullpen. Mizzou State puts up three in the ninth to go up 6-1. Arkansas rallied late and put up three runs themselves, but uh, ultimately could not close the deal. And so, you know, that ninth inning, you know, it had to be awfully exciting for the guys from Missouri State. But the folks at Arkansas, you know, they're a very proud fan base themselves. But, um, you know, looking at the, uh, the ninth inning there, uh, they pinch hit Diggs, you know, the guy that hit the walk-off homer against Ole Miss. He gets a walk. They get a pop-up. There's one down. Then uh, Bob Moore singles to left, scores the run. They pinch hit uh, Gregory for Webb. That's a lefty-righty matchup deal. And then uh, he's hit by the pitch. So it's like, is the moment too big for him? They make an error, allows the inning to continue. And then there's another single that allows a couple runs to score, and then that's it. They change pitchers, and they get a ground out to end it. So good win for those guys, but uh, not necessarily a good win for Arkansas. But Arkansas's RPI is in good shape. Now, just uh, one game tonight in the, on the SEC schedule, North Carolina A&T will visit South Carolina. So pretty interesting uh, scheduling uh, this week. And then, of course, we'll, uh, we'll preview the weekend But let's take a quick look uh, because we should get some baseball uh, on Thursday. We've got one series that begins on Thursday. That's Tennessee at Kentucky. Earlier in the the season, we had basically a four-way tie with a 6-12 record, and everybody had been swept by Tennessee with the exception of Kentucky. We do expect Kentucky uh, to compete here, but uh, we'd love for them to get a game or two from them. But the reality of it is it's going to be difficult uh, for Coach Nick Mangione and those guys to get some dubs. Uh, Vanderbilt will be at Georgia this weekend, LSU at Alabama, South Carolina at Texas A&M, Missouri at Ole Miss. That could be awfully interesting. Of course, Florida here at Mississippi State, a series we desperately have to win. Would love to get a sweep. And then Arkansas at Auburn, arguably the marquee series of the conference play uh, this weekend. Auburn could very easily win that series. Guys playing pretty good baseball over on the Plains. All right, let's look inside some numbers around this great conference of ours. We haven't looked at this in a while, but, uh, you know, Tennessee, people look at those guys and say, hey, they're just complete masters, and they have been this year. They're hitting 312 to lead the SEC, but they also lead the SEC in pitching with a 2.18 ERA. Pretty complete team in that respect. 501 strikeouts for Tennessee pitching. And just 62 of 83 in stolen bases. 
But you wouldn't be the least bit surprised to find out those guys have uh, have attempted more stolen bases than anybody in the SEC. That's a Tony Vitello way. We're going to put pressure on you. 108 home runs for them as a team. It's pretty interesting you look back at all this stuff, too. You know, looking at the home runs as a team, you know, State is 83 home runs, right? That's a ton of home runs this year. And, uh, again, we should probably set a school record. But uh, that is uh, tied for second best in the SEC with Florida. So we could see some balls leave the yard this weekend. It's interesting, too. It seems like LSU kind of a launch angle team that plays in a really small ballpark. 79 home runs. LSU has attempted the, the fewest number of stolen bases this year. There is 13 of 19. This 19 stolen bases, and you almost wonder if that's not a bunch of busted hit and runs. But um, interesting offensive numbers, to say the least. But, uh, you know, of course, Tennessee leads in just about every statistical category, 108 doubles. That's a, that's a conference high, 20 triples and 108 home runs. They're just flat out getting it done. They look like a machine. They scored 428 runs this year on 478 hits. You talk about efficiency. That's getting it done. All right, let's look a little bit deeper into this thing here, too. We talk about, uh, you know, hitting that sort of stuff. Mississippi State hitting 280 as a team, which is in the bottom half of the league. The teams that are behind us may shock you a little bit. Arkansas. Arkansas is hitting worse than Mississippi State. Ole Miss hitting worse than Mississippi State. Florida, 275, and then South Carolina. So some teams that we're kind of similarly situated with, not doing as well offensively against as we are. But uh, we're not having a great offensive year. That's true. I don't know how anybody can, can dispute that fact. But um, you, know, you look at Alabama – Alabama got 50 home runs this year and 162 walks. That 162 walks is lowest in the league. We talk about swing and miss, but teams haven't swing and miss in their lineup. Georgia has the most. 415 strikeouts as an offense, and A&M is second with 405. Ole Miss, 379. Those aren't great numbers. Auburn, 382. And so when you start running these numbers down, you begin to realize, you know, we're going to have some pretty solid teams that we're going to have to play down the stretch here. A&M. Uh, is a team that is right there with us offensively. It's going to be kind of a similarly situated offense uh, against a pitching staff. Mississippi State just kind of struggled to get people out. And some people would say, but Steve, we got to have the worst pitching in, in the SEC, which isn't true. Mississippi State's got an ERA of 532, which is not good. That's 12th in the league. Georgia has a higher ERA than us, and Missouri has a higher ERA than us, and we lost a series to both of them. That doesn't inspire a lot of confidence, does it? Uh, we start breaking these things down, and you begin to think, okay, well, you know, uh, who's got the most strikeouts? We mentioned uh, Tennessee with 501, but uh, Mississippi State pitching not too far off the pace there at 494. Let that sink in for a second. We got the second highest strikeouts as a pitching staff, but we have the the 12th highest ERA or the, the third highest ERA, 12th in the league in ERA. A lot of people say, you know, Steve, we're not playing clean. And sometimes we're not. It just seems that our errors have really kind of hurt us. Arkansas leads the league with a 985 fielding percentage. Mississippi State is second, 984. The issue is the walks, guys. I mean, it's like you start running this stuff down and looking at it and you start thinking, you know, We've got way too many free passes. We have 201 
walks as a pitching staff, which is second only to Georgia. Georgia, 222. We're 201. Tennessee, league leaders, 112. They're doing everything well. Look at some individual numbers here, individual hitting. Sonny Deshera, the transfer from Sanford, big, robust guy. He's trimmed up a little bit. He's still a big old guy. Leads the NCAA in batting average at 436. And, of course, leads the SEC. That guy's going to make some money for himself. I mean, he's not especially athletic, but the guy generates a ton of bat speed, even for a bigger guy. 13 home runs. The uh, the league leader in home runs and a guy that I think will be the SEC player of the year is Trey Lipscomb from Tennessee. That guy's really hitting at the level this year. 18 home runs this year. Hitting 357. Jacob Berry from LSU has 15. Um, and then, uh, let's see, R.J. Yeager's right there, what, 16? Wyatt Langford from Florida has 14. You know, we're going to preview Florida a little bit later in the week. But, uh, you know, batting average-wise, I mean, you know, we, we don't have anybody listed among the leaders in this league. We just, we just don't. You know, and you begin to kind of break that down and you look at the team, it's 280. It's because we've got a lot of guys that are right around 280. We don't have somebody kind of carrying the weight for us. Uh, looking, you know, Dominic Keegan's a guy from Vanderbilt that was expected to be a star this year. He has tried to carry that offense. Just hadn't really worked out. Uh, let's see here. Let's get a little deeper into this. Uh, RBIs, Trey Livescomb, of course, from, uh, from Tennessee. Leads in home runs and RBIs. Doesn't lead in average. He's a little bit down the list there. Uh, it's going to be tough for him to get the Triple Crown, you know, because, like, Sonny's at 436, he's at 357. But I think at this point, Trey Lipscomb is, is the odds-on favorite to be the SEC player uh, of the year. You know, last year it was our guy. It was Tanner Allen. Uh, Hunter Barco, we talked about him being out. He's had nine appearances this year, 5-2 and two record, 2.50 ERA. He is done for the season. 69 Ks against 11 walks. Big, strong, powerful left-hander. You start running these numbers here, too, and you start thinking, okay, well, we, we've we faced a lot of these guys. You know, we obviously don't play Vanderbilt, but Jonathan Cannon shut us down that Friday night. He's the number two pitcher in the league. Uh, we hadn't seen Chase Burns yet from Tennessee or Drew Beam. We'll see those guys. Uh, Joseph Gonzalez from Auburn, we saw him. Had a chance to beat him. Connor Nolan from Arkansas, he beat us. Uh, but we're going to see Nathan Detmer from A&M. He's a guy, too. It's been outstanding for them. He's been their Friday night guy. So, you know, there's not a lot of Mississippi State guys in the leaders here. The one guy that is is Hunter Hines, who is tied for third in, in the league in RBIs. And he's second nationally in home runs among freshmen. So, I mean, probably a shoe-in to be a freshman All-American. I plan to kind of explore that a little bit more tomorrow in an article that we'll write over on Gene's page. But um, – you know, you run the numbers here and you start thinking, you know, where does our offense come from? And it's just one of those things that's happened. I mean, it's just kind of been kind of a total team effort in many respects, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. But you start looking at some numbers that don't always make sense for you. But, um, you know, strikeouts, you know, has the most strikeouts in the SEC as a pitcher. It's Preston Johnson with 97. We had three guys last year that surpassed the 100 strikeout mark. Preston Johnson should do it in his next start. And Preston Johnson is the guy that uh, has probably given up more home runs than anybody in the SEC. I hadn't done the research on that, but I can't imagine there's anybody higher than that. R.J. Yeager, that guy's having a pretty good year, right? Probably going to be an all-SEC guy. 
Fourth in the SEC with home runs with 16. Jed Fabian has 19. Lipscomb has 18. Elko has 17. R.J. Ager has 16. And through Sunday, he led all hitters in home runs against SEC competition. Always interesting to look at that sort of stuff. Always, always, always. But, uh, again, you know, not a lot of numbers that really, you know, start making you think, hey, we're about to turn this thing around. And uh, it, it just feels so negative right now because of, you know, what happened in Missouri. And it's just kind of like the reality of our, our worst fears are kind of coming true is that, you know, the chances of us making the tournament now, extremely slim. We lost ground last weekend, had a chance to make up some ground. We ended up losing the series and losing ground in the RPI. We needed that W. It's still possible. Again, it's not probable. Not ready to count out the team, but I can't say I'm, I'm making any plans at this point for Omaha. I didn't book any rooms or anything like that. I think that's important to kind of – let's be honest about that with ourselves. It's just not the year we'd hoped for. And uh, we'll continue to keep grinding. We'll support the team, and hopefully they'll find a way to kind of get some things done. And, and uh, real quickly here, looking at these statistics for conference games only. And SEC hitting – Again, we're hitting, we're hitting 279, which is fourth best in the league. Sometimes we live in the big maroon bubble. We don't fully appreciate that. Florida as a team, our weekend opponent, hitting 237 against SEC competitors. And then the final two series we have, Tennessee hitting 286, A&M hitting 282. So we're going to see some teams that have squared it up pretty good here in SEC play uh, down the stretch. Team pitching and SEC only. Mississippi State's ERA, 6.59. And, again, the only two teams behind us are Missouri and Georgia. And right there with us is, uh, is Ole Miss. Tennessee and Arkansas, of course, uh, leading the pack. And who knew Arkansas would be so good on the mound this year? Pretty crazy to think about that. SEC play, uh, they have been really good. No question about it. And, uh, you know, they, they had three very, very competitive games against Ole Miss. Uh, looking at R.J. Yeager and his all-SEC campaign, against SEC competition, he leads the league. And hits with 33. That's, that's a pretty impressive deal, right? He's second in RBIs with 28, only one behind Trey Lipscomb, who I think, again, is the SEC player of the year. Home runs, it's R.J. Yeager with 12. Luke Mann from Missouri, who, who hurt us last weekend, has got 11. And then Lipscomb's right there with 10. Tim Elko uh, also with 10. And uh, Jacob Gonzalez from Ole Miss. So Ole Miss has two guys right there among the league leaders in SEC play. R.J. Yeager... First in total basis with 75. He's getting it done. SEC play strikeout-wise, Preston Johnson still, still number one, 64 Ks. The only person close to him is really not close to him. It's Chase Burns from Tennessee with 50. And that's in just two less innings pitched. So, getting it done, you know, for sure, uh, as far as getting some swing and miss. But uh, when, he doesn't miss when, when they don't swing and miss, it's a bit, a bit of an adventure, to say the least. All right, final segment of the show – Brought to you by our friends out at Portico. I've told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico. I would like to be closer to campus, but if I have my druthers, I'm kind of entrenched out here in the sticks. Uh, my contact and my friend that kind of helps run the show for us over Portico is Brooks Bryan, former Diamond Dog. Even though I, I feel uncomfortable using that expression because I think former Diamond Dog kind of makes it like he's no longer a Diamond Dog, even though he no longer plays for us. He's a former player. You know, there's no such thing as a former Bulldog. I think that's a lifelong designation. But um, with the transfer portal, I guess my, uh, my connotation of that may change. 
But give Brooks a call at 601-416-8075. Again, at 601-416-8075. Uh, no obligation. You just reach out and he'll give you some information because uh, it is a great place to live, 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus, very easy to get to, right off of 82 to 12. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. You take that right, boom, there you are. And they just put in a new bridge right there at Old West Point Road too. You know, so – uh, they're, they're improving that area, to say the least, because a lot more people are moving out there. And it, it's basically off Old West Point Road. But uh, you can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home and go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. You'll be glad you did. Whether it's your primary residence or a investment property for you or perhaps uh, even a ballgame weekend retreat, they're going to have the size home that fits your needs. And uh, if, you, if you go ahead and act now, you, you can have a say in picking out your lot and your house plans. Phase one completely sold out. Your new neighbors are already enjoying life in Starkville. Come up here and join us. We'd love to have you as neighbors. I think it's outstanding. I love living here. I absolutely do. And it's not just because Mississippi State is here. The people here are fantastic. The same people that you're going to see at Walmart, the people that are going to be, you know, the, the people you see at school when you're, you're going to school functions for your kids. You're going to be glad those people are around. So many great people live here in Starkville. You should be one of them. Make Portico your next move. All right, let's talk a little bit about football recruiting. That's about the heat heat up. As you guys know, spring evaluation period is underway. Your coaches are on the road. You're seeing them tweet out, uh, you know, destinations. Now, they can't have, you know, real face-to-face contact with recruits at this point. And this is one of those rules, too, that I think is absolutely stupid. Um, absolutely stupid. So, I've always felt like it's like, hey, so, yeah, we can pass a kid and we can have a greeting. It's like, hey, how are you doing? I'm so-and-so from Mississippi State. We're going to be recruiting you. Uh, here's my information. love to talk to you. So anything kind of beyond that is considered impermissible. I just think it's really dumb. And, and I get it. You know, we're down to the end of the year and, and guys are uh, getting ready for finals. But, I mean, how many of those guys really get to see a ton of high school or college coaches? I, I just think it's silly. We're, we're going to let them do it in the fall, right? You can go out and, and sit down and have a meeting with a kid and even their parents in the fall, but you know why is that semester any more important than the one that ends of the year? I just think it's a silly rule. But you get two evaluation days per player, one academic and one athletic, which means you, know, you can have maybe the position coach go watch the practices or perhaps the spring game. And not a lot of schools still do it, just spring jamboree. But you can go watch that. And so – it's important to go by and see the guidance counselor and talk to the coach and kind of do all your due diligence and pick up transcripts and things like that. And there are a lot of guys right now that you know, there's this funnel of recruits because right now everybody seems like a prospect. And then all of a sudden you dig into the academic side and you realize, hey, this guy's not going to qualify, so they leave your radar. Uh, guys go out and go to events and get timed, and all of a sudden they're not quite as fast or quick as you expected. Or you go see them in person and you realize they're not as big as they're listed. And so the funnel begins to narrow. And so there are a lot of guys out there right now that have offers that are not committable. Now, if you're Mississippi State, you can't afford to put out a non-committable offer in the state of Mississippi. You just can't do that. I mean, that's just kind of how life works. If you, if you offer an in-state kid, you better be ready to take him. And State has offered several in-state kids. I want to run some of that down for you now. And um, a lot of people are like, you know, Steve, I don't really pay attention to recruiting. Uh, you know, until it gets a little bit later in the process. And I get that too. But we have offered 16 players in the state of Mississippi. Uh, 
I'm going to run these down for you. Aiden Williams out of Ridgeland, wide receiver. I love his game. He released uh, a list of finalists. Mississippi State was not one of them. We have always known that if he likes to stay in state, he's going to go to Ole Miss. A lot of discussion about him and LSU, though. A lot of discussion. I was told by somebody really close to him that he really likes the bright lights and was uh, really kind of looking to get out of Mississippi. So, good chance he goes out of state. Mississippi State not really in the picture with him. And you said, but, Steve, you know, we, we run the air rate. And we do. And, you know, maybe later in the year he looks at it and says, you know what, that's what I want to do. Uh, but not so much. Now, Dan Smith is a younger brother of Deion Smith. Now, Joe Moorhead and the staff offered him. But uh, based on my research, Mike Leach and his staff have not re-offered him. So that is an old offer. And so not committable at this point. And I don't know that Dan Smith has really had the uh, – maybe the high school career that we had hoped. And, and there's a lot of this, too. You know, you, when Dion was committed to us, you go off for his brother. Ultimately, Dion decommits. And so it's kind of like a calf cow deal in some respects. But uh, Dan's a good player. I just don't think he's an SEC guy. Amari on Blake's from uh, McEvans there in Shaw, Mississippi. He may be the fastest kid in Mississippi. I absolutely love his game. I don't know if he's a wide receiver or a corner, but I would take him and just kind of figure it out. I really like Amarion Blakes. I don't know that I wouldn't take him as a corner and, and, and certainly as a kick returner. That guy is incredibly slippery. Kadarius Wade out of Callaway, listed as a wide receiver. Uh, if you've been on our board, you know he's talked but, you know, about maybe playing outside linebacker. I'm told that he can play either one, that he is a very athletic guy. And with that length, you know, he's a guy, too, that uh, you put some weight on. He could be an outstanding outside linebacker. It's interesting to watch that position group kind of mature over time in the weight room. So so we'll see what happens there. And, I, again, I, as I mentioned in the Bones uh, last night on jeanspage.com, I think Mississippi State is going to end up signing a full wide receiver class. And what I mean by that is probably four wide receivers. You've had Jacoby Moore leave. You've had Teddy Knox leave. Makai Polk, of course, was going was gonna to exhaust his eligibility if he came back. But I don't think it's a two-receiver class. I think that was some discussion about two or three earlier in the year. Uh, Steve Spurrier Jr. has told me before that every single year he just plans to take four, and now the transfer portal is here. Uh, that's probably a good strategy considering how important wide receivers are in our scheme. We've offered two offensive tackles in-state, and one of them is already committed, and, of course, that's Malik Ellis from Laurel, Mississippi. I'm told that he absolutely idolizes Charles Cross, and so Charles has kind of helped us a little bit down there and said, hey, here is what my experience was like you can kind of follow the same path. And the two of them, very similar in build, very similar in length. Hopefully they're similar in talent. I don't know that Malik Allison's up being a five-star. He is currently ranked a four-star, but um, I really like his film. And you can only begin to imagine what he's going to look like with another 40 or 50 pounds on him. Zay Alexander out of Tupelo. I continue to hear this is going to be an in-state battle. But he is very, very close to Jacarius Clayton, who is uh, – True freshman at Mississippi State, Jacaris is an early graduate from Tupelo High School, graduated in December, went through spring practice with the team, and looks like he belongs. And I'll be honest with you, it was all this discussion last year that he was going to be an offensive lineman. And I still think that may be his best path. But I will tell you, in the limited practices that I saw, he looks like he can handle defensive tackle I wasn't exactly sure if he was quick twitch enough to do it but after watching him in practice a couple days I'm not so sure anymore I think maybe he can do it and that's what he wanted to play he's very very close to Zay Alexander Zay is a guy that uh 350 I think he's down maybe to 330 I was told he's trimmed up a little bit 
probably will play around 325, 330. Big, long, 6'7", offensive tackle. I do expect Mississippi State to get him. I think it's just really a matter of time. Isaac Smith, I think, may be the best player in the state of Mississippi. I love his game. He's out of Itawan by Agricultural School there in Fulton, Mississippi. Uh, really, really, really like him. And uh, he has got the world after him. His dad went to Ole Miss, didn't stay. There are a lot of people that say, well, you know, he's going to be a rebel. I'm told that that's not, maybe not necessarily true, that while he grew up with maybe, um, you know, some attraction to Ole Miss, that uh, he has taken more of an, an open approach to things. Alabama's involved with him. He is a guy that is going to continue to add offers. I think that he is a potential NFL guy. And, uh, you know, we're going to lose a lot of safeties this year, so we've got to prioritize him. And Tony Hughes uh, and the staff done a really good job kind of making that family feel welcome here on the Mississippi State campus. So we'll see how things progress there. Can't say that I'm expecting him, but I do think Mississippi State's in a much better position today than we were, say, a month ago. Uh, John Slaughter from South Haven's, another guy that I've heard will likely leave the state I like his game a lot, too. I don't like him quite as much as Isaac Smith. Again, I think Isaac Smith might be the best player in the state this year. John Slaughter, though, a very capable power five safety. Be interesting to see what happens with him. And South Haven's one of the schools, too, that, uh, you know, we have offered some kids there over the years. We've had some success in DeSoto County. But uh, South Haven, we there have been times we just hadn't been able to kind of get going there. Suntering Perkins. Uh, out of uh, Raleigh, committed to Ole Miss. And I understand he's going to go through the process, but uh, it's going to be very difficult to get him away from Ole Miss. And uh, that's not to suggest any malfeasance. I mean, this is a guy that goes to Raleigh High School. Dante Moncrief played there. Dante is a hero in that town, and rightfully so. Dante uh, put together a handful of good years in the National Football League. Santorini is going to go through the process. He has been on the Mississippi State campus I just don't – I think there's just too many factors against that situation. I just don't think it's going to work out for us. Uh, but, again, you watch his tape, the guy looks the part. And you begin to think about, like, the old Dan Mullen running backs. That's exactly what he is. Ty Jones out of Bay Springs, he is listed as an athlete, could be a running back, probably could be a linebacker. I think he's a guy, too, that could be a DN, maybe a, a five-tech. Uh, not the biggest and longest guy, but a very physical brand of football player. I really like him a lot. Dante Kelly is listed as an athlete out of, uh, out of LaFleur County. I love this kid's game. I like him as a safety. I don't know that he didn't grow into a linebacker. He's currently at 6'3", but he can run. So does he stay at safety or does he grow into a linebacker? I think you just sign him and figure it out. That kid can really, really play. It's a really strong year in the Delta, too. I mean, really strong year. There's probably a handful of guys over there that I think are potential Power 5 guys. State's offered three of those guys, and I think are pretty good shape of getting all those guys. And that includes uh, Dante Kelly and Amarion Blakes. Uh, Zakari Tillman is a guy from Florence, Mississippi, we've talked about before on the show. It appeared there may be some momentum about him possibly committing earlier in this process I'm told now that he is going to take in some camps and, and be really busy this summer and then may make a decision before the season. But that's, you know, that's just kind of talk right now. That's not a deadline or anything like that. Uh, has some Ole Miss people around him. Ole Miss has not offered. So we'll see how that goes. I think Zakari Tillman uh, is probably a double-digit offer guy by the end of the month. I, I really like his game. Uh, State is a guy, too, that uh, State is, is an, you know, an option for him. Uh, first offer. But this is a guy right here, when people see him in action, 
they're going to want him. And again, I don't know if he didn't become a linebacker. I don't know if he's a wide receiver. I don't know. But I know this. The kid can play football. He's a football player. He is a little bit of a tweener. You kind of got to figure out where he projects. I absolutely love his game. He will absolutely hurt you too. Uh, Tobias Hinton is currently rated as a top linebacker in the state of Mississippi. Had a ton of early traction, but I I continue to hear that a lot of people close to him want him to stay closer to home. Uh, Tony Hughes is all over this one. Uh, I like the fact that Tony's involved here. Tony is very well respected in the Pine Belt of Mississippi and really all over the state of Mississippi. But I would submit to you that the relationships that Tony has in the Pine Belt are probably unsurpassed by any coach that recruits Mississippi. I like where this one is headed. I'm surprised, that, quite frankly, that there hasn't been more chatter about him uh, committing to Mississippi State. Jamarius Brown, out of Moss Point, I was told early on he is absolutely going to go out of state. And then he visited Mississippi State for the first time, and now he's like, hey, that wouldn't be so bad. So we're in the game here. Again, I don't expect him, but I think this is a guy, too, at 6'3", 250. You begin to think about an interior guy. And the fact that State is going to be really salty on a defensive line this year, and many of these guys are going to move on, I think you begin to say, hey, listen, you got a chance to come in here and potentially play as a freshman if you work hard. And so I was told early on that the out-of-state schools probably had the lead. I think State has narrowed the gap a little bit. By no stretch am I saying State is a favorite at this point, but I think State is really in the game for the first time. Mississippi State commitment, Joseph Head, really like him a lot too. Glad that he committed early. He is that long, lean, rangy defensive end guy that we kind of need to make things go. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that he is as good as this guy, but he has kind of that same frame as Montez Sweat. You know, a guy that stands up, plays on a two-point stance, a guy that really gets after the quarterback, uh, maybe more as a seven-tech. But I think Joseph Head is going to be a guy we're going to look back and say, you know what, this guy was an outstanding get for us. And here's what I go back to, too. You know, Coach Brown and those guys, Coach Rogers at Holmes County Central, since they consolidated all those schools, all of a sudden they're beginning to produce players with a greater regularity. You had Corey Ellington a couple years ago that played for us as a true freshman. The staff absolutely loves that guy. He just needed to kind of get in a weight room and get on a nutrition plan to add some weight, add some girth he has. You had Kamari Rogers last year that signed with Miami. Now you've got Joseph Heads. You're going to have three consecutive years where you're going to have Power 5 signees. All of a sudden, you start thinking, that's got to be a recruiting destination for us. And, of course, we have some connections down there. It is Lexington, Mississippi. But I think Joseph Head has the potential to be a real factor in this class for Mississippi State. If you go watch his game, you'll see what I'm talking about. This kid is really, really athletic. Reminds a little bit. Of kind of a thinner version of Ty Cooper. I know I mentioned Montez Sweat, but like, you know, Ty Cooper is a guy too. Like, when you see that length, that's kind of who Joseph reminds me of when you start thinking about wingspan. I really like this commitment, and a lot of guys commit early and kind of lose their hype a little bit. Head will be one of those. People will forget about him, and one day you're like, oh, holy smokes, this guy's great. Uh, Caleb Bryant, 6'3, 250. He is the half brother of former Bulldog and current Florida State Seminole Fabian Lovett. There was a lot of chatter early on that State had the juice with him. He has been kind of encouraged to go through the process, and he will. He's taking in some trips. And the more he travels, the more offer he's going to get. When people see this kid, they're going to like him. But I still like where State stands with him. And so you start running the numbers here. We talk about, you know, the 17 offers, or excuse me, 16 offers in State here. Uh, If I had to run it down, we're not going to get Aiden Williams, and we're not going to take Dan Smith. I do think State gets some Orion Blakes, and then we'll see on Kadarius Wade. So let's – you know, for, let's just say for argument's sake, 
that we're kind of waiting to see on Wade. So let's say we take Blake's. And you take Ellis. That brings you up to two. You take Alexander as three. At this point, I don't expect Isaac Smith or John Slaughter. And for that matter, Santrine Perkins. You've got Ty Jones committed. I think you get Dante Kelly. You get Zachary Tillman. You get Tobias Hinton. I don't expect to get Brown. You keep ahead and you get Bryant. Uh, State will have done really well in State. And there's some other guys out there that I absolutely love their game that State hadn't offered yet. And I'm going to give you a name, too, to remember. And I think I may have already mentioned it on the show with you guys before. Kelly Jones out of, out of Clarksdale. And it's been a while since Clarksdale has had a true Power 5 guy. Kelly Jones is an SEC player. I don't care what his offer sheet looks like. I don't care what his film uh, looks like to the, the casual fan. He's playing quarterback because he's the best athlete on the field. This guy's 6'4", 195 pounds, runs like a deer. You go watch his tape and you'll see him talking about it. But he is one of those guys, you basically recruit the athlete, then develop the position. I love this kid. If we offered him today and he committed today, I would be on this show telling you this is one of those guys you're going to look back a couple years from now and you're going to be like, holy smokes. Nobody was on this kid when we were. And we got him and look at him now. Kelly Jones can play. Kelly Jones is an incredible athlete. Uh, I'm just waiting for Mississippi State to offer. I think it's just simply a matter of time. Uh, and I think it's just kind of about getting him in camp. Let's get him in camp and figure out what he is. I think he's a safety. I think he's a long, rangy guy that can really run, that will bring some heat and run support. I think he will be a developmental safety, but I think that he is a guy within two years will be a guy that people are, are kind of clamoring to see on the field a little bit more. I really like his game. And this is just one of those things, too. Sometimes you see guys on film and it just jumps out to you. He is one of those guys. I've always said, like, if, you know, if it's not apparent who we're there to see when we go scout a ball game, the guy's probably not an SEC player. In every film session that I've watched of Clarksdale, and there's a lot of film out there, he jumps off the screen. This guy's an SEC player. There's no doubt about it. And I think State can, State's going to do well in State this year, and I think State really has a chance to do exceptionally well in the Mississippi Delta. Again, there's probably five kids out there that you look at and say, you know what, these kids have uh, you know, potential – State's already offered uh, two of those guys in uh, Kelly and Blake's. And I think this offer to Kelly Jones is just really a matter of a formality of him coming to camp and running well and performing and the staff getting to know him a little bit better. So I can't say it's a great year in state. I think there are a lot of guys out there that are basically athletes that will develop a college position once they get on campus and you know what the needs are. There are a lot of guys out there that I think can play multiple spots, and that gives you some versatility within your own class. Guys like Ty Jones, I mean, he can he can fill a few different spots for you. And so I'm excited about the direction of things. I do think State's going to do well in State, but we're going to have to kind of, you know, supplement where the in-state class is a little bit weak. We don't have a ton of wide receivers this year. We just, we just don't. We don't have a lot of guys – within the state right now that you look at and say, yeah, that guy's a surefire, bona fide SEC receiver. We had some success last year in Louisiana, of course, and in Tennessee. Uh, we're going to have to find a way to get it done. All right, well, that's going to do it for today, guys. Let's uh, let's have a great week, guys and gals, and we'll be back on Friday. We'll preview our, our series with the University of Florida Gators. Hopefully State can find a way to win this weekend, and we're, we're crossing our fingers hoping for a sweep, not expecting it. We absolutely have to have a winning weekend to give ourselves any hope of uh, – of moving up the ladder. And in Florida, obviously, is an RPI opportunity for us. And so we've got to find a way to go get it done. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.